Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Father, we thank you for your word. It's so wonderful. It's so rich. It's so heavenly. It's so guiding to us. And so, Lord, we pray that as we open your word, that Lord, that, uh, that, that we would also open our hearts to you and let you, Lord, teach us now like a father teaches his son. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Genesis chapter 35, verse 1. I have a very long passage to read here, four verses, all right? Okay, Genesis 35, 1. And God said unto Jacob, God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God, and that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Then Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean. And change your garments, and let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I'll make there an altar unto God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and was with me in the way which I went. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand and all their earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem. Now, you remember that in our last study, we went from the end of chapter 34 where we saw Jacob's sons in defiance, defiantly crushing Jacob as they justified their crimes against the people of Shechem. And that was a scene, when we look at that, that was really a scene of a fallen Jacob. And then we saw in chapter 35, it's the one we're in right now, that Jacob did not remain in that fallen state, as we saw in the second verse, especially where it says, then Jacob said unto his household, and to all that were with him, put away the strange gods that are among you, be clean, and change your garments. And in verse 2, what we saw there in that scene is Jacob rose up again from his fallen state to take charge over his rebellious family. He took charge over his family that was out of control. So from that scene of Jacob in verse 2, rising up again, what did we learn? We learned that the distinguishing mark of Jacob as a child of God was that, what was the distinguishing mark of Jacob's child? Not that he never fell. That was not the distinguishing But that he got up again after he fell. So verse 2 really taught us that the distinguishing mark of any believer is not that he never falls, but that he gets up again after he falls. And that's the distinguishing mark that makes a difference between the lost and the saved. The lost, when he falls, he does not get up again 
he remains fallen. King Solomon put it in Proverbs 24, 16, for a just man falleth seven times and rises up again. But the wicked shall fall into mischief. And in the Hebrew, that word ra'ah means evil. They fall right into evil. So as a matter of fact, the Bible has three words that really describe this essential difference between the lost and the saved. And the three words are utterly cast down. Utterly cast down. See, when the lost fall, they are utterly cast down. But the saved are not utterly cast down. And King Solomon, again, he told us that the saved are not utterly cast down when they fall. I mean, David, sorry, David. As he said in Psalm 37, 23, Psalm 37, 23, David said, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand, with his hand. See, the reason if a believer is not utterly cast down when he falls is because the Lord upholds him when he falls. Is that precious or what? Isn't that precious? That when we fall, that God doesn't say, I can't believe you did that. I'm gonna abandon you for a little while until you learn better. No, that's the moment when he upholds him with his hand. It's not a pleasant experience to fall as a believer. But the great encouragement is though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, Psalm 37, 24, but the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. Even when we make stupid decisions and fall, the hand of the Lord is right under us to uphold us, to get us going again. So in verse two, Jacob, he cleans up his house. He takes the leadership role, which is what every man of God should do for those living under his roof. Don't tolerate sin under the roof. Just like we see Joshua. Joshua stood up, he spoke for his whole house in Joshua 24, 15, when he said, he said to this people of Israel, he said, if it seem evil to you to serve the Lord, fine. Choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose lands you dwell. But as for me, and what? And my house. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, right? So not allowing sin under the roof of your house can cause a lot of friction. You know, my father, my father, I've told you before, my father was like King Solomon, like it says about King Solomon in 1 Kings 11.1, 1, King Solomon loved many strange women, so my father loved many strange women. He was married five times, and in addition to that, he had about as, he had as many women as that that he was not married to. And when he came to spend the night at our home with one of the women that he was not married to, I would not allow them to sleep together in my house. And if you don't think that caused some big explosions, <laughs> those are interesting times. Let me tell you, the son telling his father who he can sleep with in his son's house, and the father accusing the son of not honoring the father, and the woman in protest sleeping on the conversation bench in the hallway. You can see the conversation bench in the hallway today. That's memorialized. So it was hard to have all those arguments but I determined that my house was not going to be defiled. And that was not going to be a place where God was dishonored. And so just as Jacob had determined his house was not going to be defiled. And it's not going to be a place where God was dishonored. So he commands the house, get rid of those strange gods. So when a man, as we see here in Jacob, orders his house to honor God, he shouldn't be surprised if he's opposed. Now, 
Here we want to focus specifically in verse, verse 2 here on the three commands that Jacob gave to his household. What were the three commands? What was the first one? That's it. What's the second one? Be clean. What's the third one? Change your garments. Okay, very good. Now, put away your gods, number one. Be clean, number two. Change your garments, number three. How is the second command of be clean different from the other two commands of put away your gods and change your garments? How is it different? That's it. That's it. The first command of putting away the gods and changing your garments, those were outward. That was what was seen by others. Everyone could see them getting rid of their strange gods. Everyone could see them changing their clothes. But the second command of being clean is something that's inward that could not be seen by others. You know, these are outward changes of the putting away of gods and the changing of the garment versus the inward change of being clean. Being clean is a state of holiness. God commands his people to be holy. In Leviticus 11.44, I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore sanctify yourselves and be ye holy for I am holy. See, in 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should be, you should show forth the praises of him who have called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So when Jacob said in verse two, put away the strange gods that are among you, change your garments, those were rules to follow. Rule, put away your strange god. Rule, change your garment. But when Jacob said in verse two, be clean, that wasn't a rule, that was a state. That was a state of holiness. What Jacob told his household in verse two brings out the difference between being upright in life and being holy in life. To be upright is to live by the rules. To be holy is to walk with God. And a person can be upright outwardly and not holy inwardly. But if a person is holy inwardly, he will be upright outwardly. So when Jacob was calling for his household to be clean, he was calling them to be holy inwardly. And when Jacob said to his household, be clean, he was saying to them, you are dirty inside. And if someone's, you know, someone's, someone in his household, you can imagine and say, oh, now look, now look, if you have rules, and I need to get rid of my strange gods and, my, my, and change my clothes, fine, I can do that. But you want me to be clean on the inside? I can't do that because I'm not dirty on the inside. See? And this is what we would have expected Simeon and Levi to said, they would have said back in chapter 34, now that I believe they changed in 35, but back in 34, they would have said, we didn't do anything wrong what we did to the Shechemites. You remember they said, uh, the last verse in 34 says, and they said, should he deal with our sister as with an harlot? First time in the Bible that the word harlot is used. But Simeon and Levi had to admit that they were wrong and what they did to the Shechemites before that, they needed to be cleansed from inwardly. And a person has to admit he sinned and he's dirty on the inside before he can be cleansed and saved from his sins. 
Because for a person to be saved, he's got to admit that he's dirty on the inside. Admitting internal dirtiness is the first step to salvation. It's an admission of guilt. Guilt. Because the Lord Jesus Christ said in Mark 2.17, when Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, they that are whole need not of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The Lord Jesus Christ said, I came to call sinners to repentance. I came to call sinners who have guilt. And the Lord Jesus Christ died for guilt. And we are saved when we put our guilt on his soul. And that's what, that's what it means in Isaiah 53.10 when it says, im tasim asham nefsho. You know, im, when, tasim, put, asham, guilt, nefsho, his soul. When you put your shame, when you put your guilt on his soul, or as the King James puts it, when thou shalt make his, his soul an offering for sin. There's got to be a knowledge of internal guilt, internal dirtiness, and the need that Jacob is saying there is so relevant when he says, be clean. You gotta know that you gotta have to say, okay, I'm dirty, I need to be clean before a person can be saved. So whenever, whenever in verse two, Jacob is telling his family, be clean. You know, I can't help but read these verses when I, and, and, and as I read this even now, I'm thinking of one morning in London when I woke up, it was one of those typical cold, foggy mornings in London and I got up early because I had to get the train to go down to Cardiff, Wales, where my meeting was. And I was uh, waiting at the first train station and to get onto the train at King's Cross Station. A lot of businessmen there, I remember. They were all the businessmen. We were lined up. We were like soldiers. We all had our business suits on. We all had our briefcases. <laughs> we were just standing there and waiting in the line. And I noticed this woman and she was going from one businessman to the next. And I didn't know what she was doing, but it surprised me. So I turned to the businessman next to me. And I said to him, is she a prostitute? And the businessman just looked at me sternly. And he said, stay clean. what <laughs> He said to me, stay clean. I could hear Jacob saying in verse 2, be clean. <laughs> so Jacob's command in verse 2, be clean, it speaks of the heart as opposed to the outward. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ did in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. In Matthew 5, 27, where he said, you've heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. See, when the Lord Jesus Christ said, in Matthew 5, 27, thou shalt not commit adultery. That was the rule. That was the rules. And a person who lived by the rules would not commit the, and didn't commit the act of adultery. He's an upright person. He's an upright person. Not necessarily a holy person. He's upright, though. That was like Jacob saying to his house, get rid of the strange gods, change your garments. But when the Lord Jesus Christ went further in Matthew 5, 28, and said, whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. He wasn't speaking about the outward. He was speaking about the heart. That was like Jacob saying to his house in verse two, be clean. That was the Lord Jesus Christ saying, be holy. And a man who's driving in his car and practically dislocates his neck 
turning around, he got a second look at the pretty girl walking down the sidewalk. He may live an upright life, but he's not walking with God. He's not living a holy life. And that's what Jacob was calling his family to be when he said, walk with God, live a holy life, be clean. You know, it says in Proverbs 4.23, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. It's very interesting. The Hebrew word for issue is very interesting. Totsah. It means an exiting. Why should I be telling what the Hebrew is when Dan's sitting here? <laughs> Dan, is it right? Even if it's not right, say yes. No, I'm <laughs> just, just joking. All right, totsah. And it means an exiting or a going out. So this verse is really, when you think about it, it's a wonderful picture of the human heart, of the literal human heart. The body lives from what exits or goes out of the heart as it pumps. You know, I mean, we're a small congregation. And so, you know, when Cody in our congregation has a heart attack and we go to the, the doctor and the doctor talks about ejection fraction and being so low, it's very close to home here. Because if the heart is healthy, then its ejection fraction or ejection volume it will be greater than 65%, right? And if this doesn't seem relevant to you, wait. <laughs> it will become. <laughs> and, and then the heart is pumping, when it's greater than 65%, it's pumping life to the body, especially the far extremities of the body. But if the heart has a low ejection fraction, very low, 20%, then the heart is not pumping life-giving blood to the body, Fortunately, in my case, in the year 2000, I had acid reflux. I hadn't discovered uh, Prilosec. And my heartburn was mistaken for heart pains. So I had an angiogram. And I had an 85% block in my LAD artery, coronary. And then they stented it. So I avoided the heart attack. But for me in 2000, therefore, I could turn to my cardiologist, Dr. Goldberg, and say to him, Dr. Goldberg, Keep my heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. (laughs) (laughs) And then 15 years later, I asked my cardiologist, I asked Dr. Goba, I said, I'd like another angiogram if you don't mind, please. And he says, no, we don't just give angiograms. And then I learned, well, you know, that, well, if you have a stress test and you have pain, then you get an angiogram. Oh, so that buys me the ticket for the angiogram. Okay, let's do the stress test. So I do the stress test. Dr. Goba says, how do you feel? I said, oh, do I feel? I feel... (laughs) I feel such a terrific pain in my heart. Unbelievable. He says, stop. Stop the stress. We have to do an angiogram. I said, yes. Anyway, so <laughs> he never read my testimony about putting the blood in the urine when I was in high school. So anyway, so at that time, I had four more blocks in my heart. He said, oh, it's 90% block. I got more stents open up. So again, I could turn to Dr. Goldberg. I said, Dr. Goldberg, please keep my heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. So literally, out of the heart are the issues of life. Issues makes us think of the heart like a fountain or a fountain head of water. If the, if the head of water, the fountain head of water is stopped, everything dies below it. The heart's like the Golan Heights in Israel. The crops below the Jordan River Valley, they live on what comes from the Golan Heights water. And so Jacob told his family, be clean. He's saying to his family, they should keep their heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. Now, when Jacob told his household, change your garments, in verse 2, you know what we can expect to hear? We can expect to hear some people say, why? 
Why? Why do I need to change my clothes? What's wrong with my clothes that I'm wearing? My clothes, you know. <laughs> my clothes smell worse than yesterday? <laughs> Sorry, right? Did my clothes all of a sudden become intolerably dirty? There's nothing wrong with my clothes that I'm wearing. In fact, these are my favorite clothes. I like my clothes. I even like the blood from the Shechemites on it. It reminds me of the victory I had over them. But God says in Isaiah 64, 6, he says, all your righteousness, filthy rags, filthy rags. And so just like the response, what's wrong with the clothes I'm wearing? We can hear the people saying today, what's wrong with all my good works? When God said to Moses in Exodus 19.10, Exodus 19.10, says, and the Lord said unto Moses, go unto the people, sanctify them today and tomorrow, let them wash their clothes. Can you imagine? Can you imagine when that happened and a housewife at that time hearing tomorrow's the wash day? Yesterday was the wash day. He said, can you imagine? And then can you imagine such a sight as two to three million Jewish people all washing their clothes? And there's no record. There's no record of any housewife saying, but I just washed my clothes yesterday. Why do I have to wash them again? That's what makes Exodus 19, 14 so miraculous, so amazing. When it says, and Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified them, and they washed their clothes. It says that. And he said unto the people, be ready against the third day. Come not at your wives. No man said, why do I have to stay away from my wife? The reason there was just this complete obedience among the Jewish people at that time is because it was inward. The people wanted to be clean from their sins. And Jacob was hoping that his household would take hold of that and would have this inward desire for their heart to be clean. And they would say, I'm so frustrated because I really want my heart to be cleansed from my sin. I really want my soul to be holy. No one can see my heart. No one can see my soul. So how do I express my desire to be clean on the inside? Jacob says, you express your desire to be clean on the inside by taking a bath and changing your clothes. And when we're saved, we feel such a frustration because we really want to express outwardly what has happened inwardly in the unseen realm of our hearts, because we did bow internally to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's now our Savior. We want to express that desire. The self-will shall die. We shall be guided from here on out by the Lord Jesus Christ. What can we do outwardly? And God says, baptism. That's what you can do. Baptism is your outward expression of what happened to you inwardly. Don't underestimate the power of the message of baptism. I remember how my father always tried to get me to, to return to Judaism. And it was interesting. Every time he'd come down, he would always ask me the same question. Have you been baptized yet? I really wasn't even thinking about baptism. as a most important issue for him. He keeps asking me, have you been baptized yet? And when I was baptized, he stopped trying to get me to return. And yesterday when I was talking with Dan, Dan, who's an Israeli, born in Israel, and I asked him, I said, well, if I... Uh, could I become an Israeli citizen out of the right to return? And he told me the Israeli government's going to ask you one question. Have you been baptized? And if both my mother and father are Jewish and I've been baptized, I don't get the right to return. It's all right. San Diego's not a bad place to live.
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Starting September 25th, join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher Tom Cantor in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship. <laughs> 